Hello and welcome to White Enemy Noise Podcast. I'm Oscar Brummel, and today my guest is Tom Moore, who runs the dedicated and intimate label Throne Heap. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. Your support makes this show possible. And as a thank you for your support, you get access to exclusive WCN TV content and numerous other perks. And next Sunday, November 20th at 6 p.m. Central Eastern Time, there will be the monthly White Centipede Noise video party for all Patreon supporters, previous guests of the podcast, and label alumni. Head over to patreon.com slash white centipede noise now to check everything out. Also, due to some major upcoming changes at White Centipede Noise, I am now offering free shipping on all orders over 90 euros. That's anywhere in the world free shipping when you place an order for over 90 euros. See everything in stock at whitecentipedenoise.com. Good morning. Thank you so Hello. much for meeting with me and joining me on White Cinema Noise Podcast. It's an honor to meet you and talk to you. Um, super cool. Um, so your label Throne Heap. Um, I guess my first question for you is what drove you to, to, to start a label um, in the first place? So it's it's kind of a long story and I'll try to kind of keep it short, but, um, so don't keep it short. We like it long. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I got interested in, you know, like, like everyone does like noisy music and, you know, the mid nineties, like Sonic youth was big. Um, and then, you know, I just started looking for the noisiest stuff I could find, which led to like Godhead silo and the boredoms and bikini kill. I think the boredoms, I think were probably the, probably the most far out thing that I've had heard. Um, but I was really into it and, uh, had some friends that, you know, played in bands. And so I'd go over to their house and just goof around with their pedals and stuff. And I, it just, you know, I loved that. Um, and I kind of made a joke to my friend, my mom wouldn't let me have a guitar cause she said it would annoy the neighbors. And I think she didn't want to spend the money on it either. Like, cause you know, who quit? Like I quit bagpipes. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, th my friend Liam, he's like, he's still like my tech guy. He's not really interested in noise at all, but he's, he's basically just a genius. Um, he was building like Craig Anderton type projects in high school. Um, so I made a joke to him one day, like my friend had this old computer. I don't remember what it was. I'm just going to call it an Atari. Um, but I made a joke like, you know, I'd like to make a band and have this as my instrument. Like, is that possible? And he kind of laughed and said, I don't know, maybe, um, 
and uh, I don't know if I was aware of uh, circuit bending then at that time. Um, mm-hmm. I could have been, but he came over to the. I think I pestered him about it enough, and he came over to my house and like we opened up the the computer thing, and he took my sister had like a speaker. Um, you know, those like little crappy speakers that you can detach and move, but they're still wired in. Um, he showed me how like you could right. take that little wire and hold it to the little circuit board and it would make, you know, the, the craziest sound. It sounded just like raw current. It sounded like I was going to be electrocuted and he's like, don't touch over there or you'll, you know, you'll, <laughs> you'll probably die or something. Um, but that really like, I found that really inspiring, just that like buzz. And I was like, holy yeah. shit. And, uh. So anyways, my mom had a bunch of old religious tapes. Um, she used to have like a prayer group in the house and they're all like the worst sounding tapes ever, like um, real low quality. And uh, I just started making sort of noise collages, but I didn't really know what noise was, but I was making, and it was really goofy, um, really goofy stuff. Um, my friend actually, he saved it. Like he, I did it with other people too. That kind of humored me. It was kind of my thing. Um, but he sent me the tape like a year or two ago. He still had it. And it's still like, you know, I don't know. It's not bad. <laughs> it's it, it's kind of goofy. Um, but anyways. Are you using the collages from those like prayer readings and the, the church oh, stuff? Um, yeah, there was some of that. But mostly we just taped over them. So the sound quality was like extra okay. awful. Um, but we were mostly using like, um, like I would sample stuff from TV. Um, I had a little handheld like cassette recorder from uh, Radio Shack. And, you know, we just go out and hang out and make little sounds and then just kind of like slow them up, speed them down. I didn't have any pedals or anything like that. So it was just kind of like static and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So anyways, um, and then in ni- 1998 is when I went off to, to college. And that's when the, that's when I really like found out about noise and sound. It was kind of weird because I was kind of, I think, on the verge of discovering like the underground noise thing right about then. But when I got to college, I, you know, I was exposed to like sound art and like more academic style music of noise but my freshman year andrew deutsch who is a professor there he is um i think he's like a head of the institute of electronic arts at alfred now which is a great school i love alfred just want to give a shout Mm -hmm. out to that place really special place um but that's really where i kind of started taking it seriously and it wasn't just goofy anymore um uh, andy did a presentation our freshman year where he like he it was the first time i heard mersbau and it was on like a giant auditorium and he just blasted it and he you know, showed us some snippets from like Vienna action films. And uh, it talked about Japanese noise and uh, the Buto. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the Buto dancing and stuff. And I was like, holy sure. shit, you know, I got to take a class. I got to take a class with that guy. And uh, so that spring semester, I signed up for a course with Andy and he, uh, he kind of took me under his wing. And yeah, I just been kind of recording sound and stuff ever since then myself. Uh, my freshman, or not my freshman year, my sophomore year, he, uh, he, you know, he's a visual and sonic artist, um, does video sculpture and sound. Um, but he had recorded some material, a CD with, uh, Pauline Oliveros and he asked me to remix it. And I was like, you know, like 20 years old or something. And that was just like, holy shit, what? <laughs> you know, I was familiar with Pauline just because of Sonic Youth, you know, but it, she was new yeah. to me, but I was like, wow, you know, like, this is awesome. Um, and that CD, it didn't end up coming out. I think Pauline ended up buying a building or something. But it didn't matter, you know, he was like, you know, I've asked DJ Spooky and, you know, these other people, like, I said, like, whoa, you know, I'm just like some nobody. Um, so, I don't know, that really inspired me and kind of, I changed majors, I was going to major in painting and I switched to sound at that point. Um, and I've just been recording ever since. Um, 
So fast forward to uh, 2002 when I graduated, what I did was, you know, it was kind of my senior thesis and I was kind of working and I was really influenced by what Andrew was doing with like Tatsuya Noe and artists like that, like kind of like 12K and Line. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those labels, um, but Line's a really quiet label. And then 12K is more of like a micro sound kind of label. Um, so I was really influenced by that. So my recording was like a really quiet micro sound type thing. And I worked on that thing like like eight hours a day. Like it was, I loved it. It was obsessive. I think it changed my brain, honestly. And I think that's part of why I haven't released anything since then. Um, but I, but I worked really, really hard on it and it, it was a 12 minute piece. It was a three inch CDR, um, that I came up with. So, you know, this is 2002, you know, I, I think I'd just gotten a laptop around that time. So like, I didn't have really a computer. I was using the computer lab at, at college and stuff. Um, so it was kind of like I had this, I recorded a CDR and I, you know, I did like an edition of 50 and I signed it and numbered it. Like I was some famous artist. And, uh, you know, it's time for graduation and I'm going out into the world and, you know, Andy's giving me advice, like, you know, send a copy off to the Vital Weekly. Um, and he, uh, he put me in touch with Eric uh, of Anomalous. Um, Andy had recorded a couple CDs on Anomalous and that distro was still going at the time. Um, so I reached out to Eric and he agreed to distro the CD but, and this is kind of like a big part of how Throne Heap came to be the way it is, I think. Um, part of the, like, one caveat of, like, him destroying it is you needed to have a catalog number. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a catalog number. I didn't even think about a label. It was just kind of okay. like, oh, it was just, oh, oops. <laughs> so, and I'd already released, I already sold some. I didn't sell too many, but, you know, I gave most of, a bunch away. But I wanted to get it out in the world. So, you know, I came up with a label name. It was Mark of Pins. Is the only thing I ever released on it. Um, and I wrote it on a little sticker and just put it on the outside, and that was my answer. Um, so that was a total afterthought, you know? Um, that was definitely with a catalog total... number. Yeah, yeah, with a catalog number, of course. Yeah, yeah. It was Marco Pins, like MPO1 or something like that. Um, but it was like handwritten, a little sticker. Um, and I didn't like that. I wasn't comfortable with that. Also, I wasn't really comfortable. I never really liked CDRs, but it was my senior year and I had to have a show. I um, never really liked CDRs. So, Anyways, around that time, I you know I graduated. And I'm trying to get this out into the world, and this is the same time where I you know I'm kind of leaving behind that academic sound stuff, and I'm diving into like the what was it the Wolf Eyes Hanson like Yahoo group back then, yep. and that like opened me up to the whole world of the underground sound and that kind of thing, um, and it just sounded warmer to me. Like I like that warmth that the analog system had, and I've been pretty much working digitally. And then the other thing was, is like during this time I graduated from Alfred, I had never had any money. Um, so I'm trying to like come up with my own studio. How am I going to keep doing this? Like, what, what, you know, what am I going to do? So like, you know, that's when I learned about like a contact mic for the first time. And it was just like a whole new world. So I'm like trying to build a studio, trying to get my sounds like I can make them, but also trying to go a different way, I think. Um, so from that period of like 2002 till, uh, till, I bought the domain in 2005. It was the, I think it was a New Year's resolution or something. And I, I'd been working on the idea for the label. Um, I think I had a job as a security guard at the time, and I was just messing around with photocopiers in the building. I worked the night shift, so I'd like mess around with photocopiers and stuff. And I spent a long time, like probably a year, at least a year, um, just kind of coming up with how these tapes were going to look and how I was going to present them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was really important to me, especially since I didn't do that with the previous label. Um, and also I wasn't ready to release anything. So I had the time. Um, so anyways, like 2005 comes around and 
it was like the end of the year. It was like December, like it might have been Christmas Eve even. But I, I bought the domain, and I, t I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to build a web page. I didn't really know how to do that at the time. I had some bootleg software, so and it turned out easy. I, it was easier than easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, so then I was I had this you know I was paying a web host at the time a lot more than I pay now, and it was kind of ridiculous actually. Um, but uh, so I was like, I'm paying this money, like you know, why don't I invite some people? to record, you know, for Throne Heat. And that's yeah. really how the label actually started. It was just, I wasn't ready to release my stuff. So, hey, you know, you know, let's release somebody else's stuff. And that was kind of a, a, a quick decision. I didn't put much thought into it. It was just like, you know, hey, I'm paying for this money. Like, why not? You know, give it a shot. Let's give it a go. Yeah. And that's kind of how the label really, really started and how it came to be. And I think that's why, you know, all the tapes look the same because it was originally just going to be my stuff. Um, so yeah, what, I don't know if that answers. What has happened with your own music? Are you still? You said that's the last last thing you released, but you also mentioned that you're still recording. Is that something still going on? And yeah, why haven't I still, you released anything since? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I've had some stuff like some of the stuff I recorded at Alfred has been released. Like Andrew remixed it. I'm really proud I'm on a CD with like him and Tetsuya Noe. And, uh, there's another mm -hmm. one with, with Steven Vitello and stuff. But yeah, I haven't released any of my own stuff. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't, I don't really have a great answer for that. Um, I'm working on it. I, um, I'm trying to make an effort towards it. I, it's like two years ago. I've been on a good kick lately with it. Like I really want to, that's the goal. But um, I read this, I was reading this, uh, essay about Matisse and it was about his cutouts and the whatever the author whatever was talking about how he, Matisse would work on the cutouts and he would like pin them up around the studio and they would be in a like constant state of flux and then the, the words they used to describe it was oh shit now I'm going to forget it <laughs> perpetual deferral mm -hmm. perpetual deferral and that just resonated with me and uh I'm like, it's okay, Tom. It's okay to like not release your stuff. It's okay to just keep moving it around. Um, and it, I think making it feel okay has made me feel like, I'm, yeah, okay, it's okay. You can you can do this someday. So I might, I might release some of my stuff. I might not. Um, probably. Yeah. Well, I hope I do. But you know, would you self-release it on Throne Heap? Ah, uh, maybe. Um, I think. One of the things I do is like when I'm recording, I like to work visually um, a lot. So I've kind of created all these different labels over the years. Like none of nothing I've finished, um, but like right now I'm start. I've started to catalog all my recordings, which getting organized is helping because excuse me, a lot of them are on tape. So and you know it's it's hard to you know listen to old tape. So I've made like some cool artwork and how to catalog it so I can go through it. And what I did was. Uh, I bought like 20 C10s last year, and my goal for the year is to just fill those with five minutes of stuff that sounds good on tape. It's got to sound good on tape. I, I record direct to tape. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, when they're all filled up, the goal is to go back. And I've, I'm writing everything down, what's what, what I used, and to see if I can make something of that. And what, whether I'll release that or not, who knows, but it's progress and it's moving forward for me, and that's what I'm trying to do. Cool. That's interesting. I, I, Of course, that was one of my questions is, do you do music and what your music is? Cause I wasn't quite aware, but that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's very serious. I mean, there's 
very serious commitment to that, even if you haven't released stuff. I think that's very, very interesting. Very cool. Respectful. It's different. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> um, so, so tell me about the first Throne Heap releases. I, I don't know the exact chronology, but I know some of those first releases of 2006, right? You know, what, yeah. what was the first Throne Heap release and how did you get in touch with those artists? And what was that working relationship like? So, um, the first tape that came out was the Cherry Point tape. Um, and I was in contact with Phil because, you know, electronics, of course, during that time, those CDs, you know, big influence. Like, he sells those things cheap, um, great quality. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in touch with him and ordering it from all the time. And actually, I think I think what happened was there was on the Tronics board, you could, like, you had a username or whatever, and then you could change your little subtitle name. And I just, you know, I built the web page at that point, And I was like, can you change my little subtitle name to Throne Creep? And oh, by the way, I've got this website. You know, I had the website all ready to go. There was just no, no content on it. And I was like, hey, check out this. I'd, I'd love to release something for you. Um, and he agreed. You know, and I, he sent me a C10, which I am so thankful for. Like that. I mean, that was like a. Yeah. And I'm in mean, like nobody. You know, here, here I am, like you know, some startup. Never. He's never seen anything I've done, and he just trusted me. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, but that's how that release came to be. And then, you know, it was kind of like a, an experiment, too. I didn't know if I was going to keep doing it. I didn't know if it would be successful or, like, work. I don't think I'd ever even received money via PayPal at that point. So it was all, like, a new a new experience in that regard. Um, so that momentum from that, I just kind of started moving forward. So I reached out to, like, Andrew Deutsch, my old professor, and was like, you want to do a tape? Um, then I reached out to the Rita. I think those were the first tapes, like, the first three, yeah. I think. Um and that's how those came to be. Um, yeah. Cool. Were there any hiccups in your early days, you know, like running a label in terms of the logistics, getting things done properly, getting them out on time, things like that? Not really. Um, and I think, like, part of the reason there's not so many releases on Throne Heap is I'm... Uh, I don't take chances, you know, like I, I think everything through before I do it. And that's part of the reason why I haven't released any of my music even. Um, but I want to be prepared and, you know, I never bite off more than I can chew. So it's not like I don't have 10 releases showing up at my house and all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed with it, you know? Um, so I, I didn't really have too many hiccups. Um, and, uh, really thankfully for this whole time, I don't feel like, but yeah, definitely. That's, I mean, that seems like, I guess something I wanted to get to at the end is like the fact that Throne Heap is this label that has a very sparing pace and catalog, but at least since I've been aware of it, it seems like it's never, you know, it's just been like holding, holding it down and holding it steady and always with the simple quality every time, you know, with that and never, never overdoing it and never like, oh, you're not, you know, you might not get your stuff from this guy or, or, you know, these tapes sound bad or they look bad or there's, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know. So, so tell me a bit about the, the, the look of, of Throne Heap, because that's, that's a big, um, you know, consistency and big identifying factor of the label. Um, so the first tape, the cherry point, like, I feel like that art was just kind of like what I was already seeing out in the world kind of thing. It's a little different than the rest of them, I'd say. Um, but I was working at a paper factory at that point. 
um, and they were manufacturing like high quality, like artist paper. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could get that for free. And so I decided, you know, Hey, you know, I get this free paper, but I, you know, I can't run that through a Xerox machine. Um, so I was like, why don't I try screen printing? And it was something I'd never done before. I just bought a kit that came with a DVD and stuff and kind of self-taught myself how to do it. Um, so, and I really, I like the art to be screen printed because I wanted to have like a handheld, you know, I wanted to have a, like a personal touch, even if it's just as simple as being screen printed. Um, so a lot of the design ideas, I'm just ripping off like Hanson, I mean, that like crusty, gritty look. Um, but then I'm also like, I wanted to print good. Um, so, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a great screen printer at all. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. So I know if I stick to thicker, chunkier images, they're going to look good. And I've gotten really good. I, th I think I've gotten good at knowing what's going to screen print well with the, what I'm using. Cause like, I don't know anything about meshes and sure. exposure and all, you know, all that stuff. So, um, I think that's kind of how it came to be. And, uh, it's just kind of evolved, I think into its own thing. And it's kind of easy for me at this point. I, I enjoy making art for, for the tapes. Mm -hmm. um, Are you still using the same setup, screen printing setup as you had back then? Uh, yeah, it's, I keep it, it's in my classroom at work. Um, cause I, my, I don't have room for it. We live in a really small house. So like my studio is my recording studio. There's, I don't do anything visual really here so on the couch or something or on the computer, I guess for artwork, but yeah, still using that same press. Cool. And when you, when you come up with artwork for a tape, um, how, how much collaboration or input from the artist is there, if any? Um, so typically, you know, the artist will send me their, their, their material. And I usually reply back with, uh, Hey, I'd love to do the art. You know, I'd love to design the art for you and screen print it. Um, you would have the final say on it. You know, you, you know, I send them a PDF, like, you, you know, they might give me an idea. Usually they don't, they don't give me an idea. Lots of times people will say, Hey, I just trust you. Yeah, do it. You know? And then I send it to them and usually they're okay with it. Sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, they're like, oh, can you make it more abstract or something like that? Um, so, uh, yeah. And then if someone sends me an image that can't be screen printed or they, they have something that they want to do, um, you know, I just roll with that. Like for the evil moisture tape, for example, like I think I put off asking Andy to do a, a tape for so long because I wanted him, I, I didn't want to do the art for an evil moisture tape. Um, so <laughs> when I asked him, I, I, I can't do that, you know, um, so I wanted, you know, I wanted to, I asked him to do the art for that specifically, which I don't normally do. Sure. Um, with the tapes, I don't do that at all. I, I usually offer and hope that they let me do it or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of confused now. Am I answering your question? <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's true. The, the evil moisture is like one of the, one of the outliers of that, of that kind of formula. Yeah. Um, just one sec. Blank tapes just arrived. Wow, nice. <laughs> I see you're dubbing now. Like you're setting your own dubbing setup. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just got, I had one. I just got two more of those new, the newly made Tascam decks that dub in two wells. The 202s. Like, you know, I always dubbed in the, the older 202 MK3 or whatever, four. And I always bought them used back in the day. And they were great machines, but they always had kind of, they'd start to, Depending on where you got them from, it was always a gamble if they were going to start, you know, crapping out because they were made in whatever the the nineties or something. Or, right. Um, and I guess Tascam recently did like a new, brand new re, 
boot of that same machine, which fingers crossed is going to be now stable for yeah many years. Um, so they're super sick. I'm you can dump six. At, I mean, I have three, so I can dump six tapes in real time at once. So oh, that's awesome. really that's really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um. So to um. The, about the artwork um so in general as a label what do you feel is like your responsibility to take care of in working with an artist and you know their responsibility what what is that working relationship like for you for example just in terms of like do you give them any sort of um feedback or 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 advice or or is there any sort of like back and forth about the material or anything going on there. I mean, you mentioned the artwork for sure. Um, you mentioned yeah. that, that thing, but, but are you involved in that process at all? A little bit. Um, I feel like I'm at the stage where if I invite you to do something on throne heap, I just expect that what you send me is what you're, you're feeling and like you want out in the world and you want on my label. Um, so I mostly trust that. Now I have worked with some people that have sent me like demos, not too many people, um, but I have given feedback. Um, I have like rejected like an entire side of a tape for somebody once and like, Hey, I, I don't, I'm not into that, you know? Um, but aside from that, for the most part, it's, it's just, you send me what you are confident that you want out in the world and I will trust you. And, you know, if I do have reservations, I will speak up, but I, I, I don't really usually, I usually just kind of let them give them that space to do that, what they want. And how do you curate which artists you work with? How does that process go for you? What are you listening for? And what what is it that makes you decide, okay, I want to do a tape by this person? Because, you know, your catalog is, like I said, quite sparing over the years. And you it's very it's very intentional. And there's a yeah. huge sea of great noise artists out there. You know, you, you're very intentional about who you work with. Where, where does that come from? It all comes, I'd say, from my personal tastes and what I'm listening to. Um, I tend to get obsessed with an artist and then just listen to them. And lots of times, like, I'm just getting over this, like, G Park phase that I've, from, like, two years where I just deep dive into that artist and just listen to it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that happens with, like, the, the artists that I release on Throne Eve, I feel like, lots of times, most of the time. Um, I like to be familiar with the artist's work. I don't... And sometimes, like, you know, like, if somebody has, like, a huge discography, chances are, and if I'm not familiar with it, I probably don't want to work with that person. That makes me uncomfortable, just not knowing what it all is. I like to be very, um, very in the know about who I'm working with. Um, now, that's not to say I don't take risks with people that I, you know, that don't have a lot of material and stuff. Because, um, like, the Ural tape, for example, Jim, that was just perfect. I mean, he kind of hit me at the right time. And he hit me with some great material. Yeah. And like, I was like, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do a tape for you, you know? Um, was that a cold a cold call, so to speak? Was that like a, were you in contact with him before? No, I hadn't been in contact with him before. Um, yeah, so I was totally unfamiliar with him. I do get like lots of, most of, a lot of people send me demos that, you know, the usual, like, they just want to be on some label and they're just spamming you. Right. So when I get those, I if it's something that doesn't even seem like it's something for the label, I don't even reply. Right. Uh, you know. Um, but if 
you know, someone like hits me with like some good material and it's on mark with what I'm doing and I'm not overwhelmed with other things or have too much stuff on my plate, then yeah, I'm, I'll go for it, you know? Yeah. Um, what does the term intimacy mean to you? And does that have any relationship to your label or how you, how you Um, view your label or your relationship with music? I mean, my relationship with music, I would say is, I don't know if intimate would be the word, but, um, I do have a relationship with listening. Um, that's really important to me. Like, uh, I guess you're asking about the label though, right? Like the label, I guess more about the label. I mean, I guess I, for me, Throne Heap feels like an intimate label in terms of how everything is presented and the care that goes into it. And, you know, um, it's also the, the tapes are usually relatively small, smaller edition sizes. You know, it's not, doesn't seem to be out there to, to, to flood the market and make sure everyone knows about this and gets it. And, you know, it's 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 it seems like a more intimate communication with with people is that sort of accurate or is or tell me about your decision tell me about like your decision for 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 making the tapes and the edition sizes surrounding them so the the edition sizes um i've gotten flack for that in the past and you know those early tapes you know the cherry point the rita those were like an edition of 40 and that's that's my bad. You know, like I should have done more of those for sure. But you know, this at the time it was a whole new world for me. I was dubbing, I had one, I, I probably had two tape decks two at the time. One of them was kind of probably like kind of shitty. So it was like, you know, it was a whole new thing. And uh, I do regret that a little bit. Um, but as far as like addition sizes go, um, I think, and it's going to sound like I'm going off topic here, but I don't think it really is. No. When we talk about, when the conversation comes up of, is it noise? Is it music? You know, it's an interesting conversation. It's a fun conversation. Um, But I think it's kind of irrelevant. Um, I think we all listen to music, different styles of music. Like even if it's harsh noise wall or uh, you know, cut up noise or something like that. I'm going to approach that differently. And it's the same is true with music, you know, um, and I'm kind of getting a little off topic here. The same is true with music. Like I'm going to listen to hip hop differently than I listen to jazz and, 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 and so on and so forth. And I th- my point is, my point is this, that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's like David Bowie or like Sam McKinley. Like I think the common ground we can all come to on this is they're both artists Mm-hmm. And that word artist is important to me. Um, and art, I kind of, I mean, I come from a visual art background. So when I, when Throne Heap releases like a new batch of tapes in a limited edition, it is intentional. It is, um, I want it to be limited. I want it to be special. I think of Throne Heap kind of like a gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curating that gallery. And I like to think of it as I'm putting affordable art out into the world, even if the art's not screen printed or whatever, you know, but the whole package, the sound, the artist, the whole thing. And to me, that's special. Like, you know, and some people are like, oh, you sold out in the first day, you know, and 
I think what those people don't realize is that I will distro to anybody. United States, overseas, you want to distro stuff, I'll sell it to you at the wholesale. I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to make money off this. Um, that's not my goal. Um, so, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't know, kind of like in a zone here. Is that, no, does that no, make no. sense? That's, that's, that's interesting. I th- I, I'd like to hear more about that. Like that's, um, like when you think about like a Picasso etching, you know, it's in an addition. And that makes that art more affordable for the people that can't afford it. And that is important to me. It's sort of like the, the idea of like the Keith Haring pop shop or like the Bread and Puppet Theater's cheap art manifesto. Yeah. I, I'm about art for the people and making it affordable. I don't. I don't try to overcharge people or anything like that. It's, you know, like I said, this isn't a business for me. I just do this for the love of it. Yeah. Um, That kind of thing. So would you have any like opposition to theoretically doubling the edition size, for example? I mean, every, of course, everything is going to have an edition. I mean, everything is going to have an edition unless you're just somehow have a printing machine that can continuously make it. Of course, you know, you're limited, but is there any specific reason that you wouldn't say, okay, instead of, this many, I'm going to make double this many. Um, yeah, I mean it like kind of like I said, the same before, like the, the limited edition makes it kind of special. And I also, I also don't feel like everything needs to be in a huge edition. Um, yeah, some stuff. And, and when it does, I, I'll do that. Um, for example, the harness, uh, the harness material, I asked them for a tape. They sent me the material. I was like, damn, I wish I could do this as, uh, as an LP, but I, I didn't have the money. And mm-hmm. at the time, when I first got it, I was like, you know, maybe I could do a CD. And uh, I was like, I don't know. I don't want to break format. Um, so what happened was I sent it off to the, you know, duplication company and I got my test tape back and it just was, it just didn't do it. It didn't do the, the sounds justice. I was like, fuck it. You know, like I looked up the CD stuff. Everyone's doing it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I asked Shane and Luke if they would be down with that. I I wanted Luke to do the artwork because that's new to me, mm-hmm. I, you know. Uh, so that was part of it. And then that kind of a, the same thing happened with the Darksmith CD. Um, that was originally going to be a tape. That should have come out a long time ago. Oops, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, that should have come out a long time ago. But um, he went. He made some art for the tape, and then when I was like you know, let's, let's do it as a CD. And he was down with that. He's like, all right, I want to, I want to redo the art. And he, he works very meticulously and it takes him time. So that turned into a CD as well. And I don't know, um, with tapes, I don't think I'm ever going to do an edition of like, uh, over 100 or I think that most I've done is like 90. I don't think I'll do that. Um, I think I'm liking CDs. I'm liking this new way forward, I guess. And it makes me a little sad, but tapes are just becoming like ridiculous. I mean, I'm charging six fifty for a, a wholesale tape, yeah. and that's 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 all. That's, that hurts my heart, but like, and that's not even everything. That's not factoring in like shipping seat, like artist copies to Sweden. It's not factoring the paper. It's not factoring the ink, yeah. the emulsion. So I'm 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 honestly like probably taking a little hit still on yeah. those tapes, um, but that's not. I mean, that's that doesn't matter. Like that's not important, but. It just it bums me out that I you know have to charge six fifty for a tape wholesale. And yeah, it's I mean, the the format which was once you know a format of ease and kind of DIY necessity oh. is slowly becoming kind of a boutique designer format, which is fine, but it's just going to suck when the price gets. Pa- I mean, it's, when the price gets past a certain point, I'm going to wonder if it's still going to be 
makes sense. You know, if it, if it's going to cost as much as an LP or whatever to make a tape, it's like, yeah, are we still going to do it? Or, you know, are people willing to pay that much money for a, for a tape? Will they be? I mean, that's a good question. And, uh, this last batch with the tapes, like, you know, the 650 thing is looking at that and I'm like, you know, you're taking copies, Luke's taking copies, you know, distros all over taking copies. And I, I, like the last batch, I don't remember what I was charging, like $8 a tape or something. But I just finally made the decision, like, I'm just going to charge $10. I, I didn't really want to do it, but I wanted you guys to be able to do it and feel okay about it or charge more, you know, like what you guys do for me is a huge favor. Like all the distros um, are like a huge favor. So I want you guys to get something out of it and not just be, you know, doing it for the love of it. Like, I think you guys should earn something for it. You guys are working pretty hard for it. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think some people have just owned that $10 or $12 price for a while. And I mean, when people started doing that, it was like, Hey, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Like this guy, who's this guy? Think he is selling a tape for ten bucks or twelve bucks or whatever like that. But it's like, I don't know when you when you yeah when you think about it, the amount of work that goes into it, in addition to the cost. I mean the cost and the work that goes into it. It's like, why 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 should it cost? Why should the person making it be like selling it at a loss or 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 selling it at break even point? It, things cost money, you know. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's a, the, the pricing thing is a whole different thing, but I've never, I've, I mean, I've never, I think it's just the, the way things are going and I've never felt, I've never felt like you were overcharging at all. I mean, that's just throwing heat. I know what tapes cost and your tapes, I know what goes into making a tape and your tapes are above the, you know, the notch of quality of the standard thing. So when you told me the last time or whatever, the wholesale price, I thought that's totally, totally fine. And, you know just what things things cost money so it's just how it goes so yeah but yeah we'll see how things go in the i mean in the future it's it's that's a whole other topic that i've kind of touched on a number of times in the podcast is where will the physical format go over the next several years and you know i think if you look at it like a like an artwork i think it's i think it's appropriate to look at a physical format like a like a piece of art because then you can understand that it's not just about a container for sound files it's you know it's something bigger which doesn't necessarily always fit the the consumer model of of a cheap product you know yeah i'm definitely like a physical format person if i like something i you know i want to hold it i want to look at it and flip it over or whatever you know like that's a big part of it for me. So yeah, that's, that is concerning. Like I would hate to not be able to do that. Like I'm not really a Bandcamp person. Uh, I mean, obviously uh, I don't release anything on Bandcamp and I don't have anything against Bandcamp. It's just, I prefer, you know, if I like something, I'd, I prefer to own it, you know, physically. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a real concern of mine um, and how things are going to move forward too with the, the tapes just getting ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Um, tell me about working with some certain artists. Tell, tell me about working with uh, Thurston Moore and how that tape came about. And is there any relation? I uh, no, there's no relation. But I did in high school used to joke with people like, "He's my uncle, Thurston Moore." No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I convinced my other friend that Snow, the the rapper from Canada, was the uh, the 
Snow Informer, you know, is the rapper yeah, yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. I told my friend that that was the uh, the singer for that band. Uh, I'm blanking out here. Three Eleven. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I would just make up dumb stuff. I usually would tell people, you know, the Thurston Moore thing. They knew I was joking. Uh, but yeah, I just had a sense of humor about it. But no, no relation to Thurston. Um, I think it was he found the label through probably the um, that Wolf Eyes Yahoo, whatever the Hanson American Tapes Yahoo group. Mm-hmm. I think he might have been in there um, and just took interest in the, the early tapes and he started ordering them and he did a few orders and then he hit me up for a trade and I was like, oh, this is casual enough where I can be like, hey, uh, you know, you want to, you know, want to do a tape, you know, he was, I mean, of course, a huge, Sonic Youth was a huge influence on my like teen years. I was like obsessed with Sonic Youth. Yeah. So when I saw that or the first order come in, like from Ecstatic Peace and then it had Thurston's address, I was like, you know, holy shit. Blown your mind, right? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, my 14-year-old self was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. He, um, was big, with... he was big, big active in that in that time of the noise, and he bought my my first tape ever, and it was like, what? <laughs> like, just yeah, super random, and then, you know, like, wrote about it later. Like, it was like, what the fuck? Like, Thurston Moore? Like, and then, yeah, I don't know if he's still into that at all or – what he's doing with all those noise tapes because he was supporting every. I mean, he was like, he was putting big money I think in every label's pocket. Everyone was like, "Yeah, Thurston Moore always places huge orders with me. Like every time I order something, he's just like going around like, oh, bye, 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 bye.' It was super cool. I really, I really thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I don't know. It kind of validated a, a little bit for me. It was kind of cool, like how you know I went from like worshiping this band as a teenager to then just doing my own thing and then it kind of circling back. Yeah, um, that's kind of neat, you know. <laughs> For sure, definitely. What, what what can you tell me about uh, working with what, what can you tell me about, what can you tell me about Tom Darksmith? Because um, that CD, by the way, is really, really, really fucking good. I really, really love it. Um, it's one of my favorite releases of the past year for sure, um, and definitely something I keep coming back to. And and he's an artist that I yeah I I I'm fascinated by everything I hear from him. I haven't followed his work, and I don't know much about him personally. I didn't. Um, how was how was that process of that that CD? Um, I don't know uh, Tom like that well. He seems, you know, our our email exchanges and stuff were pretty like you know short and to the point. Um, I get the vibe that he works on stuff very very meticulously. Um, and he when I first mentioned the idea of doing it as a CD that the tape was originally be taped. Um, he mentioned how he wanted he considered doing it as an LP, and then I don't know why he didn't. Um, but, uh, I think he, I think he works like really hard and meticulously, especially those drawings. Yeah. Um, because he, he changed, like he changed the art from the tape that we were originally going to do. And then he sent me like some more art. And then not long after that, he said something like the, he, it was like a bad vibe or something, one of the drawings. And, uh, so he wanted to redo it. So it took like another... I, know, I felt like it took a long time. I feel like that was in progress for a really long time and it kind of dragged out. Um, but yeah, I don't, I can't tell you too much about him. He seems like a pretty mysterious guy. Um, very friendly, nice guy. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you like the CD. Yeah. Do you get the same amount of satisfaction releasing CDs or LPs that are kind of factory made and delivered as you do from? The handmade tapes? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. 
Um, like, I don't know, like the Dillaway one has screen printed artwork. I didn't do that. It was uh, right. someplace out in Detroit, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it's a bigger edition. Like, I feel like if it deserves to be in a big edition, yeah, I want it out there. And I'm not saying that the tapes don't deserve to be in a big edition. I just feel like, I don't know how to word it. They, they're the art. You know, I feel like maybe they're more, uh, uh, the limited thing makes it a little more special. And that's part of the reason like I didn't feel so bad about charging $10 for the tape versus $10, because yeah, the tape and CD are, are $10. So it's like, yeah, you're getting something a little more special, I mean, not more special, uh, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it feels. I mean, that's. I guess that's where I think that the term intimate kind of comes in. You know, when you feel like you know, you know, there's been hands on this. You know, there's been like physical. There's been hands on everything. Of course, you know, things get made in factories far away, and we don't see the hands that are on them. But at the same time, um, you know, you feel that raw energy from from a handmade tape, hand screen printed. But so you don't you don't you don't feel any sort of like the labor that goes into that, like you miss that doing a a CD or an LP or something like that. No, because it's. I mean, I do enjoy working on the that end of things, but I mean, ultimately, I I just want the material out there, you know. Like I just want people to hear it. Um, so it it doesn't really. I would say now, like the mm -hmm. CD thing doesn't bother me. Um, I had, you know, but also like, you know, Luke did the art for the harness, you know, he did his own art, uh, Tom did the, the art for his CD. So I don't know, like, and they're both artists that work visually. I feel like, like Luke's art is great. Yeah. Tom's art is great, you know? So in that sense, it's more of, it's more of like publishing their artwork sure. and, you know, it's professionally printed and not poorly printed by me. Right. Uh, but yeah. So what are some favorite releases? of the label for you personally. Do you have favorites? I do, but uh, I don't think I should name them because I feel like that's weird, you know? <laughs> it's just, you know, I think what I mean by favorite is, you know... I assume you love everything you put out. I mean, I don't, I don't think calling something a favorite diminishes the others, but I mean, like, certain ones that have a special... special place in your heart because of either the music or the the person or the relationship or the process or the time in your life. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, the first tape, the cherry point tape is, you know, very, very important. That was the first thing I ever published for somebody else. Same is true with the first LP and the first CD, you know, the Dillaway LP and the harness CD. Um, those are all very special to me. Um, I kind of feel like they're all connected to me on a personal level, if that makes sense. I know that sounds really cliche. Sure. Um, oh. But I do feel a connection to, to all of them yeah. um, for different reasons. And it's also, you know, the catalog's pretty diverse. It's, it's not all, you yeah. know, one style. And that makes it even harder to say, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges, really, Oscar, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I can't really like understand it, you know? Um, the... The, 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 the label's output was, I think, in, you know, like the, when it started out in the 2006, 2007 time, it seemed to be pretty prolific. And I've, I, I was actually looking at the, the Discogs chronology, and it seems like every two years you have, like, a lot of releases out. And sometimes 
I like an actual pattern, like of like, like one year or two years of activity, and then like one year of or and two years of nothing. Is there a reason for or, or what is the reason that things kind of ebb and flow for you? Um, I would say that has more to do with like my personal life and just what's going on. Um, like this past year, my partner had a lot of serious health issues. Um, normally what I do is after a batch comes out, I send out invites to the next round. And, you know, I have some artists out there that I've invited to do stuff for and I haven't heard from them for a while. So I still have stuff out there that could be coming and I don't know when it's going to come or if it's going to come. Um, but yeah, I think that just really has more to do with my personal life. And right now, like I, I decided after that last batch because of what was been going on, um, I'm taking, I didn't send any new invites out. I'm, um, I'm probably going to send some out in the spring. I mean, I could, and if any of those artists, I do have invites out there right now, but not very many. And if they get in touch with me, I'm ready to go. Um, yeah. That's what I mean by not biting off more than I can chew. Right. And I just, I'm just taking a little break. I'm focusing on my own stuff a little more. Cool. Um, so that's a part of that. And I think that keeps me from burning out on this too, you know? I mean, I've been doing it for like 15 years. and yeah. For sure. I think it's, yeah, that's, that's definitely smart. Burnout is a real thing for sure. I think that's probably the re you know, burnout is probably the reason for a lot of the uh, greater ebb and flow that we see in, you know, the noise music scene, you know, I think just simply burnout or, you know, I don't know, or such saturation that that just what happens. I don't know. Um, what, what advice could you give to someone starting a label in this day and age? Maybe in terms of either one, like logistics or practical things, but also in terms of curation or, or approach to publishing music? Um, you know, the times they have changed. Um, I guess my advice would be to really have a clear vision. Like don't jump into anything, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm not someone to be giving advice, but I would just say, you know, have a very clear vision of what you want to do um, before you dive into it. Um, and don't just dive into it. You know, I would say start small, like baby steps, you know, uh, get your feet wet, see how it goes, you know, just play it by ear and then, but follow your vision, you know, like stick to what you started out to do. Yeah. Um, and as far as curating, you know, do what you want, you know, like some labels just do like all harsh noise and some labels do, you know, specialize in different things that for me, that's not what I want to do, but maybe that's what they want to do. And maybe that's what they should do. Um, but I, I don't know. I can't really speak on that, I guess. Sure. Do you think it's important that a label knows why they want to release music? Um, okay. Here's the, here's the, here's the bigger question that I, I ask myself sometimes it's an open question. Why does why do we want to release someone else's music? Yeah, that is. I mean, that is a good question. Um, why, why does a, why why does someone start a label? For, well, for for me, it's it goes back to that art thing and the gallery, the gallery of thrown heap. You know, mm -hmm. it's I just want to provide. Like, I feel like I have something to say visually, at least, um, and I want to support these artists i think these people are just as like these artists that i'm working with to me are just as important as like john cage or pablo picasso and i know that sounds stupid 
But I, I mean, I firmly believe it. Like, I love this stuff and I want to I want to elevate it and I want to support it. And I do that by buying releases and in my own little way by releasing them as well. And I like to be a part of that. I like to be associated with that, um, especially since I'm not myself putting my own art out at the moment, you know, so that that kind of like gives me satisfaction for like what I'm not doing, I guess. Sure. Um, so that's, I guess, my answer, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. What about, you know, kind of more practical nuts and bolts kind of things about what are your thoughts on, you know, the current scene and how it operates? I mean, you came up when there was, I assume, yeah, you talk about the message, this, this, um, Yahoo group. And of course the, the Tronics board was huge in terms of promotion and communication and networking. And now it's kind of like the social media era and Bandcamp is huge and things like that. What's your take on all of that? Um, are you, are you, are you supportive? Do you think it's a good thing? Are you okay with it? Do you wish things were different? Um, I don't wish things were different. Um, I do things my own way. Um, I don't have a big cartel, you know, I still do it like Ron does it, you know, right. You gotta send me an email. If you don't know how to, you know, read the directions or whatever, just reach out to me like, Hey, do you have that tape? And I like that interaction rather than going to like a shopping cart, for example, I don't mind it. It's super easy. I can go order a tape from, you know, somebody's, big cartel page and that's that's super easy and nice but um for me i i don't know that's something that i i want to keep it the old way um i don't really want to let someone else i don't want to pay some other company to do what i can do myself and if people if that's inconvenient for other people then oh well um sorry um but i'm not you know it's just not me I, i looked into it i think i even made a big cartel site or like signed up for one or something but, it, you know, I had to make a, is like, you got to make a PayPal business account. And that word business just, it's like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I stopped. So that in Bandcamp, I mean, I'm going off topic again here, I guess, is I wouldn't want to release somebody else's art on Bandcamp just because I don't want to, I don't deserve money for it. Um, and I don't want to be like a broker and, you know, here's your whatever your income or, you know, your earnings, you know, that's, that's right. just not me. So, um, if they want to put it on their bank camp, awesome, you know, yeah. go for it. You get it out there. Um, yeah. that, that, I like that. In fact, do it, put it on your bank camp, you know? So, um, that old way of, of ordering, I think is really, I do miss that really actually, you know, when I think of it, um, I don't think it's possible. Like, it's not possible for me to do it like that, like with the distro, because it's just, it would just. Yeah. With all those titles. It's just, yeah, it's just not possible. But I, I, I miss those days really of, that was so exciting first getting into that. Cause you know, it's like you discover a, a music scene, which is really fascinating and, and different and, and, you know, weird and like, whoa, like there's something really different going on here. And it's like, feels really underground. Like it really does. And then you yeah. realize also it's like, okay, I guess at that time, like Amazon and all the online shopping wasn't as huge as it is now. So, I mean, it wasn't as common, but still like you can't just buy it from Tronics, I think. Well, maybe Tronics had a click buy now, but I don't think so. I think like Tronics, Triple R, Hanson, Freak Animal, those distros, you know, those distros that I was, or, you know, or anyone that I was ordering from, you literally have to write them a personal email and then you're waiting for like a couple of days and then, you know, you get a hit back, bam. And it's like, 
this person that you kind of look up to and like are like you know they're they're an artist you know look up to but like this artist or whatever that you're like very interested in, they're writing you back personally and like yeah here you go this isn't available but this is you know and that just that simple exchange was so exciting and you know made you really feel involved yeah and one of, one of the things i like to do and it's, this is kind of whatever but like you know you get that automated response when you order something from the big cartel and i always like to send whoever orders from me something if sometimes with paypal i can't see their um email address um so i can re- i reply in paypal i don't know if they ever see it yeah. but i always send them their shipping information you know sign it my yeah. name and it's a personal you know hey mark thanks for the order right. you know and i think that kind of opens it up a little bit because you know sometimes people will reply to that and say oh thanks i you know and they give you some feedback on what you're doing and that's the kind of stuff that gives me you know energy like you know i had a guy a new customer like on the last batch i don't you know he's a new name to me but he's been i think he might have ordered the last two batches actually but he like said you know i've been just buying the whole batch and i don't know a lot of these artists or who they are but i trust your judgment and I'm loving it and, or not always it, loving it, but you, you know what I mean? He's enjoying it. And to me, you know, that's like, that's why I'm doing this. I'm, you know, thank you. I'm glad you, you like that. So, you know, stuff like that. And with the big, with the shopping cart, it's less personal, you know? So for sure it is, it is. And uh, you know, I still, I still really like, I, I'm not always the best about it. I really like when someone takes extra time to, to reach out. And I try to, I try to do the same too, but you know, I, I, we do get caught. I do get caught up in the in the the modern tools and you know making everything faster, more automated, and that's nice for time. But it's still great when when that can break through because those 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 ordering relationships still like started a lot of the the relationships and contacts and you know associations and friendships in the scene that I have today. You know, just those ordering back and forth, and then you kind of. This person's on your radar, and then maybe next time you you chit chat a little bit, or, or you know, there's just some, and then you trade. You know, just that whole that whole that whole exchange is really that's the reason for it, in my opinion. I can't imagine doing it without that. And I think you know now now with the bigger site that I have and like the bigger distro, um, I'm I'm still getting that communication, and I know I had it earlier, so I'm still like maintaining all those contacts and building new ones but i can't imagine if i like came fresh into this right now and yeah. was just existing on like big cartel yeah. instagram i mean instagram i guess had does have the potential for chatting and things like that but i mean i can't imagine if i didn't have that history of the kind of the old school way and that isn't you know then there was the old old school way which was like the letters which i think was even more intense for people yeah um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I agree. Like, yeah, coming into that, like, I wonder what that is like. Maybe that would be a good topic, actually, for somebody that is very fresh for something. But, yeah, I mean, just the little things, you know, like, I still write, I, you know, when someone orders something for me, I, like, grab a Sharpie and write their name. It's not like a printed label that I stick on there. And to, to me, it's those personal things, you know, that just yeah. kind of, like, you know, add to the whole, the intimacy, you know, of yeah. the label. You know, yeah. like, to me, that's that's important. Yeah, totally. I think that's... That's that's important to keep alive. It's not possible always, but somehow that needs to be in some way, even as like 
technology advances, and I think technology advancing is good. I don't think it's necessarily bad, but I think some way that needs to be in our minds as we go forward. Like, how can these personal and intimate kind of interactions and contacts still be maintained and nurtured through this new technology, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting point. Not technology. Um, so, if I told you, like, that Throne Heap is very, very widely respected in the noise scene, and, you know, that's what I hear from people, that's what I know from people, that's how I feel. What is it... Why would why would you think that might be in your in your mind? I guess it comes down to the level of care that I put into everything. Um, I you know I always want the artist to be happy, um, so I always send them the artwork first. I really enjoy like. I, I mean I don't I don't know it's. When I'm working with somebody, it's very much like I'm working with that person and I'm not working with tons of other people. And even if it's just email exchanges, I don't know, I'm always respectful. I try to be professional. I'm not a very professional person. Like I'm really bad at writing and typing and stuff like professional, like I hate writing words and stuff, but like, I don't know. I just, I put a lot of thought into everything I do and I don't really make rash decisions very often. And I really re like, to me, it is about elevating the artist and like I said, providing that gallery or that pedestal to put them on. And it's, it's, to me, it's just about them and making them happy and putting their stuff into the world in my own little way, in my own little, like, unique way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your curation process is very specific. And I, I always felt like, okay, it's, it's kind of an honor to be on Throne Heap because... Like be, I think for I think many many artists think it's it's kind of like for them like a would be a badge of honor if they're if they're asked to be on the throne heap. But in the same token, you've you've said that you have also you know released some things off of demos. You know, Ural was kind of a, a an unknown contact who contacted you. What would you tell an artist who's interested in being on a certain label? whether it be Throne Heap or a different one, how to approach contacting a label with a with the with the desire of working with them. Okay. Uh, I think I have a good answer for this. I think the best way to do it is don't send someone well, I mean you can send someone to your demo. That's fine. I've accepted them. Um but I think if you really wanna like you know, if you really want to get my attention, you know, ask me for my address and send me a tape and say, you know, hit me up for a trade even. Like, lots of times I'll just, you know, be like, okay, sure, like, let's do a trade, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. The Sending, a, like, a link to a sound file to me is, and I've worked that way with with people, but it's a little less personal, you know. I think if you if you want to like approach a label and you really want to be on that label and you really love that label, you need to write them and tell them, specifically not just hey i love your label um i'd really like to work with you i've got this cd i want you to listen to you know like be a little more personal about it because i feel like a lot of what i get is just hey you know check this out you know and 
like, oh, okay. <laughs> Not super enthusiastic about it, but if you made like a little small tape personally for me, yeah, I'm going to pay more attention to that. You know, like you took the time to, you paid postage, you assembled a little something or whatever, even if it's a CDR, you know. But yeah, I just feel like that's a little more personal. And if I were approaching a label, like if I wanted to be on someone's label, that's how I would do it. Like I'd send them a, it'd be like a limited demo or something like I don't know. Yeah. Is that is that answer, I guess? Like, for sure, for sure. And do you think do you think some sort of like previous just general networking or 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 correspondence within the scene is important and like patience? I mean, you know, if someone wants to be on Throne Heap, they might send you something. And you know, they might it might be great. You might think, oh, this is cool, but you might just say, well, thanks, but no thanks. But, you know, what, where should they go from there? Should they, is it, do you think it's important for people to understand that not everything is going to happen right away or, you know, kind of yeah. patience and, more, and, and respect I, I, for that kind I of process? Uh, my students keep saying up, that. Is that a meme? Me personally? Um, I would, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't, I would not send a digital, like, I would not send a digital file to somebody ever. Um, if I were, you know, if I wanted to be on someone else's label, I would re do an edition. It'd be handmade. It would, you know, and they would be mailed off. I'd just be like, Hey, can I get your address? I'd, I'd like to send you something and not even ask to be on the label. Just say, I'd like to send you something, you know, that I think you might be into. I'll, I'll take that way more seriously than, Hey, I'm working on something. And I'd like to be on your label. You know, if you're just like, hey, I want you to hear this, that to me, that's more like more uh, sincere. Like, I feel like, you know, it's coming from a more sincere place and not just, hey, I want to be on your label so I can have this like badge or whatever. Right. You know. Yeah. And I think uh, I think that's that shows more seriousness that you're yeah, you're not asking for a release, but you're just showing, hey, you know, like I like what you do. And maybe if you have the time and if you get to it even if you want to just give me some thoughts or, you know, like on what, it, what it is, even if it's not like, Hey, I love this. I want to release it. But I mean, just this kind of contact to invitation to please listen, you know, just, just, just to listen. And, and I don't know, that's something that I think is, it's that opens it opens up a conversation too. Like, especially like if someone were to send me a tape and, you know, give me something more to say than just, Hey, I'm looking at your digital file. I can be like, Oh, I like your packaging. I like your aesthetic. I like, I like the, I like the way this sounds on tape. Right. Um, you know, and then you can have a dialogue like, like that more than just, Oh, Hey, I checked out. Like, to be honest, like sitting down and listening to a digital file is uh, something I really enjoy doing. Um, um, so and the reality is you probably don't do it. I mean, you probably get hit up with many emails that are, hey, here's the link, and I'm guessing you don't listen to many of them. I, I know I don't. I mean... I, I, if I... Um, yeah, like, if if I'm in the zone, like, right now, I don't want anything. So don't, you know, don't, please don't send me anything right now. You know, like, if someone sends me something right now, I'm just going to be like, oh, no, I'm, not, I'm not looking for demos right now, because I'm not. I'm just taking a break. Yeah. Um, so I probably wouldn't even listen to it for that reason, unless I was already familiar with the artist. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, for example, that salute tape I just put out, I, you know, I'm, I follow Dan's, Dan's one of my favorite artists, you know, right. um, 
he sent that to me and very kindly said, you know, he said, what, how did he word it? It was something like, um, Tony and I recorded this material and we feel like it would be a perfect fit for throne heap. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable with sending this material to anyone else. Um, and if you don't release it, I will. And you know, that's, that's a way to do it. Like say, right. you know, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to release it. You know I mean? I, I guess that's kind of forward to, to approach someone you don't already know like that. You know, Dan and I have been in contact over the years. So right. there's that, but um, yeah. Do you think, do you think new artists should also, I mean, do you think, do you think, kind of having your own label so to speak like you did in the first place you know like your own label or at least like self-releasing something i think that's an important yeah. thing to do oh yeah definitely I, I mean i think you should like come on like put the effort in like it, it doesn't have to look good. it doesn't have to be a work of art you know yeah. but but do something you know like don't just put a digital file up you know anyone yeah. can do that you know show that you're really passionate about it and you bring that into the physical world <laughs> you know yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I'm probably going to talk about that on the next episode of, you know, label spill, the kind of sub, sub series about labels and that kind of stuff. And well, that's one thing one person asked, and a couple of people asked, is how, how do you approach labels about, you know, releasing your work? And it's, there's, there's also the, the Discord server where a lot of this, on the, the White Sam, you know, Discord server, a lot of this gets discussed. And there's been a lot of discussion about it. And I think the, the, the best thing I think is just to, you know, that's why a lot, so many noise labels exist is because someone just started recording their own noise and were like, oh, you know, someone pointed out why, why should someone else put the money and time into releasing your work if you aren't willing to? Yeah. Man. At least make at least make a tape, you know, at least make some sort of physical, physical version and send it. Like if you're not willing to put that effort and you know, money, it's not a lot of money, but it's a symbolic amount of money into materializing that, then why should a ran should a stranger be willing to do it, you know? Yeah, and the other thing with that is like I personally like to know the artist's visual aesthetic, you know, like well, what are you what do you what do you do, you know? I mean, are you doing like I don't know, I can't think of an example of something I like, but like, you know, if they don't jive with my aesthetic, I, you know, I might, you know, not be interested because of that, I guess. Um, right. even if the sound was, was on point, you know, yeah. like doing the, the evil moisture tape again, like I, I think Andy's sound, you know, jives with the label and his vision artistically works with it as well. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, it's kind of neither here nor there. I'm just kind of rambling, sure. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's a really important thing to consider. I mean, it's maybe forced upon people. It doesn't necessarily have to be that, but I think as a, as a, as a noise artist, you should at least, you should approach, I think the thing as not just a sound project, but also some sort of a visual project as well. I mean, I guess it goes the same with any music. I mean, any band has, you know, if you don't also think about your image for better or for worse, that's a huge important, that's a huge part of it. I mean, if you're, if you, you can be the greatest, rock band in the world but if you look corny or not right you know if you don't have if you, if you don't consider that your your physical presence on stage and your physical artwork uh, you know that's a huge part of the whole experience and i think that's also something to keep in mind that you know it's kind of a multimedia 
project yeah. being a, a noise artist you know not everyone is a physical not everyone is a, is a visual artist but i mean i think some sort of attention to that how you present present your work is very important yeah well then there's like francisco lopez who like does the clear shell clear cd like very little text you know like it's the opposite of that to me i don't that's not my thing it's hard for me to get into something like that but that's also a that's also a you know yeah. a it's it's, it's uh, this thing that's a that's an aesthetic that's a just you know decision it's a and it, it, it's it's a brave decision and a, i think a great decision it just yeah. it makes it harder for me to get into the work personally sure for sure yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can understand that too but you know it's some sort of theme that he's you know committed to and thought about it's just it's just think i think it's just more than, more than anything it's just thinking about that element of it so i actually just just opened my phone and i just saw um because usually before I do an interview with someone, I, I post on the, the Discord server if anyone has a question for for the person I'm going to interview. And just moments ago, as I'm we're doing this interview, someone did uh, respond with a question. And um, the one question is about your curation process, which we've kind of already gone over quite a bit. Um, but this, his second question is, um, some Throne Heap releases have a unique catalog number that includes OS at the entry, such as Dillaway's Chain Shot and Sewer Elections' Vitea Sonder. Would you please ask him about the OS series and how they differ from other Throne Heap, Throne Heap releases? So, that's just kind of silly. Well, the answer is kind of silly, but... Um... So yeah, like when I started the label, I never dreamed I would be doing LPs. That was not the plan. I mean, it was just a, it was my personal, like, Hey, I'm going to present myself to the world with this label thing. So like the catalog, I wanted the tapes in the, the LPs to be different. So the OS is like old school library, like oversized because oh. it's bigger than a cassette. <laughs> so yeah, o OS is just oversized. You know, it'd be all the good art books in the library are in the oversized section. And the catalog. Well, back in the day, I don't. Who knows how they do library? I, I mean, I go to library, but <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting. That's great. That's that's uh, that's that is very interesting. Uh, what about CDs? Do they also have an OS? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just kept with that because it's the non-tape format. Anything that wasn't the tape became that. Yeah. Cool. Great. Um. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, to add or, or, or let us know about what you've got coming up uh, right now? I know you mentioned you're kind of slowing things down for the time being. Um, yeah. Um, the most recent invites I say that are still out there that I, from artists I've been in touch with, I guess, recently, it would be um, I want to do a Magnetic Corner CD for Weston. Mm. Um, so I proposed that to him, and I'm hoping he, I'm hoping he wants to, you know, he's, I think he's working on it, you know. So hopefully that'll be in the future. Um, I, I read that Shane, uh, the still image tape that I put out. I love that tape. Um, man, Shane just went above and beyond with that. And uh, after that, you know, I just gave Shane an open invitation. We you know whatever, uh, whatever you want to send me, we'll do something, whether it's yeah. a tape or a CD. Um, I was kind of more implying a tape, but I don't know if it's as good as that. You know, I kind of regret not putting that. Like if I'd known about doing CDs, I would have done that as a CD. Sure. Um, so, uh, the, but those are the two main invites that are floating out there. And I've got some older ones from people I haven't heard from in quite a while. So they're, I'm just, yeah, I don't like pestering people. So 
Yeah, I, 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 I did look at the the site, uh, I think just today or yesterday, about what's what else is coming out. Does they say Dillway, an upcoming Dillway something potentially? Yeah, it's been a, it's been like a probably a year, maybe even two at this point since I've yeah. reached out to Dillaway. So I don't know if that's still going to happen. Um, the, it's kind of a, this is off topic a little bit, but and I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I first approached Dillaway to Dillaway was the first person I asked to record something for um, Throne Heap. I asked him mm-hmm. to do tape, um, and he Dillaway Dillaway he's huge. I mean, he's just a big influence. Um, he was so kind to like that little three inch CDR I was talking about before the micro quiet micro sounds. Yeah. Like he was cool enough to like distro that for me in the Hanson yeah. page. And, uh, so Dillaway said, you know, what, what was his response? It was a great response. He said, you know, yeah, I'll do a tape for your label. Sure. But, but you do one first. And, uh, and I was like, Oh shit. You know, I want, yeah, I want to do a Dillaway, you know, tape. Um, but yeah, you know, of your own music. Yeah, yeah. You know, he probably, like anybody, would probably want to see, like, how is he going to present this shit, you know? Like, do I trust this guy? Do I know him? You know, like, like that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but it's also cool encouragement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I was so, like, stoked that Dillaway would even, you know, it didn't fit in with the rest of the catalog, really. But he distorted for me, and I, you know, I was, like, so proud of that. Yeah, I used to go to the, his website like back when he was doing the online distro, and I would like check that like every day. And I loved he'd write personal descriptions of everything. That was just great, you know. Yeah, um, it was like every day, like really, I, I would log on and just reread them even sometimes. So. For sure, Dillo was a huge influence. So I, yeah, I don't know if he, you know, if he's listening to this or something, but like yeah, you know, he's always welcome. If he if and there's another other tapes that I have coming out from older days is. Uh, like a slow listener tape. I'd like to do another slow listener tape. I haven't heard from Robin in a while. Um, Rumination. I haven't heard from Nolan in a while. But, I, you know, time goes by and you reach out to them and then, and, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm still interested in doing it, you know. Um, but then more time goes by and it's been a while now. But I, I haven't totally given up. Brutum Fullman, I love that tape I put out. It's an early one in the discography. Um, I think he's more into painting right now, but I've stopped pestering him. But, uh, if he ever comes, you know, if any of these people that I haven't talked to in a while come, come, I'm ready. Like, you know, I, we'll do it. Let's go, you know. Um, but yeah, those, uh, those, I don't know if they'll ever come to be. I bet they will. I think that sometimes that really just fall, that's things can fall off for like years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, due to, I mean, mostly just due to personal life, you know, like that's, that's the biggest, I think, underrated factor in why things happen or don't happen for people. It's just like we were all doing this kind of alongside, you know, life, which can be very complicated and good and bad. But, you know, but I'm sure, yeah, I don't know. I think things usually catch up with each other. Yeah. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, like I keep, like, I have a list, you know, like I have people I want to ask to do a tape right now, but you know, I'm just taking a break. Um, and it's happened where, you know, I've had people on that list in the years past and they, you know, they never get the invite because they stopped doing what they do and that's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. You know, if these tapes happen, that they happen. If they don't, they don't, you know, the invites go out. They do. If they don't, they don't. Yeah. Cool. Well, then I was wondering if you could tell me, what are your top five noise releases of all time? Okay, I knew this was coming, so I've prepared. <laughs> um, 
the first one is, and it, these are in no order, um, but the first one is sort of personal to me because it was sort of my gateway purchase into noise. Um, and that would be the Fruited Other Surfaces compilation that was released by Vermiform, which was Sam McFeeder's label. He did like, he was in Born Against and Men's Recovery Project and those things. Um, I purchased that when it came out and I think that was right when I got to college. So I was being exposed to this like whole world of like Tony Conrad, Pauline Oliveras, Microsound Glitch, and then all this underground stuff. And it was all at the same time. And that really hit hard. And I just listened to that CD over and over and over again. And it's a really great comp. I mean, I bought it like I felt safe buying it because Drop Dead was on it and Men's Recovery Project were on it. And I knew them. But I mean, that CD exposed me to Bastard Noise, Amps mm-hmm. for Christ, uh, JT Yamamoto, Rubber Rose Cements, Landed, Krebstar. Like, I, I feel like I have the, the whole Hermit. There's a great Hermit track on there. It's a great comp and it's mostly noise. Like the Drop Dead song, if you want to call it that, is it sounds like Amplified Windshield Wipers. Um, and you can get it. It's on Discogs real cheap. Um, it's just, a, it's a great, uh, great. It was, I don't know. It's really important to me. Uh, and I think Vermiform was a big influence, kind of a little on Throne Heap as well in some regards. So, mm-hmm. so that would be one. Um, the Triple R uh, 500 Artists 500 Lock Grooves LP. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a that's a work of art. That I think museums should be buying copies of that. Like the Museum of Art should have that in the archive. That is phenomenal. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it makes you think about time. Yeah. You know, because I put it on and I, I usually put it on when I'm moving around. So you put it on and you're moving in the space and you're hearing the sound differently. And then it's up to you when you when you change it. And I don't try to find an artist. You know, it's 500 lock crews. Yeah. Um, but it, it really brings it's like, you know, that's art, man. You're like in the moment you're experiencing it. You're determining the time. You know, you pick that needle up and you set it down and you don't know what you're going to get. And it may be better than what you were just listening to. It may not. Right. You know, the longer you listen to that loop, it changes. I, that that album, everyone should own that album. And I picked that one over like the seven inch version. There's a 100 lock grooves and there's mm-hmm. a thousand lock grooves. I picked that one mainly because it was the first one I purchased. Um, but all three of those, I think, you know, are mandatory. I think everyone should own those. Like, look them up, get them now before they're gone. For that's all true. Buy them up. <laughs> uh, I really, I really think that is a work of art. Like, it yeah. is a work of art. Uh, the time and engineering and everything that went into that great just great lp awesome um the other ones are ones that i just listen to a lot and have like really like the next one uh is is by trait um inspirationals it's uh eric lundy yeah um i got it in a trade years ago i just kind of picked it up randomly but it just hit like i love it i listen to that a lot um it helps me like relax sometimes i put it on at night frequently Mm -hmm. um it helps me kind of slip off into sleep but yeah that one i mean i play that a lot a lot a lot um just a great album definitely um dillaway uh modern jester it's a masterpiece yeah um the after the showers tape that is sort of a i guess it's like an accompaniment it's alternate versions of after the showers and like uh tremors yeah but yeah that tape that lp it just uh i think that's just Dillaway's ultimate statement. I mean, everything Dillaway does is great, but that one, yeah, just a beautiful, beautiful artwork. Yeah. 
Um, uh, next one, Sewer Election Cassette Music. Um, mm -hmm. That one is just so beautiful. I mean, I know it's got those gagging sounds on it, and my partner makes a joke about it. Like, I'm like, hey, can I throw in some noise? She's like, no gagging sounds. Because, you know, some of sees that too. Um, but I love that album. Yeah. Um, the sound of it just sounds like he's pull, physically pulling tape across the head. Yeah. And it's uneven and unequal, but it's still a loop. Yeah. And that is just, you know, I, and it caught me off guard. It caught me off guard. I wasn't really expecting it when I ordered it. Um, Cause you know, Dan's harsher works are fantastic and amazing as well. Um, but yeah, it caught me off guard and man, that really, I just find that super, super inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, just a great album. I recently got the LP reissue just so I could get those liner notes. Right. Know, just yeah. to, great great record yeah that was um, on CD. properly archived i mean on that very large edition i think on the lp that's also really good that that exists too yes definitely yeah cool no nice nice list um so that's five all time then can you tell me five more recent favorites over yeah, the past um, year or so yeah i kind of i went through some stuff i'm not super good at keeping totally current but i think most of these are within like a year uh, maybe a little more um and the first one i just i just want to keep talking about weird sewer election albums so that uh psychic panorama that came out on discreet the blue one uh, yeah yep. i mean what the hell is that yeah i mean i'm i'm not as smitten with it as cassette music when i first heard it but i keep coming back to it like what is this what yeah. is this I like to think of it as like, I don't know, it has like kind of a weird new age vibe, but like, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like a sci-fi, like it's brain programming or deprogramming me. It's, it sounds like software, real weird, It's really uh, real weird, weird. Yeah. but I keep coming back to it. Yeah. So that yeah. one is a, a recent favorite. Um, I think, uh, the barn sour, a one trick pony cassette. Mm -hmm. um came out on i don't know i'm not sure how to pronounce it it's like stray key or something like that mm. just really kind of far out stuff like different like acoustic sounds again some vomiting sounds in there which I, i'm not a fan of personally really either but um i don't know it's just interesting it's new i mean i guess it's not super new but it's different it's definitely very different than what's going on i know it's not technically like noise noise but it's what i'm it's what i listen to um so yeah. that one's that one's a great one. Um, the magnetic corner. Um, it's, I don't, I can't remember the date, um, but it's the trans Picos. I think is how you pronounce that. Like his live performance yeah. at end times. Yeah. I think what Weston is like, he's super talented, like visually and sonically. He's just absolutely, he's like really inspiring in that. The tape is great. I wish I could have been there. Like it starts with like a, it sounds like almost like a Rick Springfield song or something. And it goes on a little too long. It like, it stays like, I don't know how long it stays, but a little too long. And it's just perfect. It's just perfect. And then like, then his dizzying, like grimy loops just start coming in. And it's just like, yes, yeah. you know, is that on, um, gracious host or, or, or prime ruin? It's, um, I don't think it's not on gracious host. I want to say it might actually just be magnetic corner. I, I want to say that that's kind of thing. 
Yeah, like I feel like he's got a whole series of live ones, and it's released under like the Magnetic Coroner label. Okay, but those Gracious Host tapes are just beautiful. Yeah. Like, and he's like recycling stuff, so he's like doing good for the environment. Like, such <laughs> an Weston is like he's awesome. Like, I I kind of found like I just found him on my own like late. You know, I don't I'm not really good at keeping current, like I said, but I I found that. Uh, uh, going blank now not the black hole and that one's really good too but the uh time aligns tape that yeah. was like my favorite that year like wow yeah. you know and the art and the sound and it's yeah so uh he's Weston. he's fantastic he's also very very unique and visionary i think with his label as well and yeah he's someone i need to talk to on the podcast too hopefully so. yeah get him on here for sure yeah. um this one's kind of, uh, this one is, uh, the next one is Joseph Nekvatal. Um, it's called Collected Soundworks 1981 through 2021. And it's a cassette, but it's not like a reissue. I mean, it is in a way, um, because it's sampling from his whole discography. Like I got really into his Sound of Pig tapes, mm -hmm. um, like a few years ago and like, really into that is and it's kind of like plunder phonics which i'm not a big fan of but there's something about it the way that joseph does it that i just think works and that tape this tape specifically it might be like 30 seconds excerpt from like a you know 15 minute track or something but it'll cut it down into 30 seconds and then and, it, and it's not in order either so it's like 1983 1985 1986 and 1983 again and it's sort of like kind of like its own cut up thing. And I think I'm not really super familiar with his whole like conceptual art and his visual art with the whole viral symphony thing, but I feel like conceptually it kind of fits into his catalog in a good way. And it's interesting cool. and it's a good listen. Interesting. Um, and then the last one again, didn't come out. It's been a little over a year, but the missing tape on new forces, it's yeah. uh, Josh Peterson, right? Another kind of a, I think all of these have in common. They're they're kind of a little. They've got something you know a little strange or different about them. And that tape, I think that's my favorite by Josh. Um, it's all over the place. Um, has sort of a narrative, kind of comes and goes, or so it implies. Right. Um, but I've spent a lot of time with that one to the point where I was listening to the tape so much I ended up going back and just buying the digital so I could <laughs> save the tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, so yeah. I think I think that's five, right? I think so. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, man. That's great stuff. Um, so, um, you know, I've asked you already what you have coming up next, but um, I uh, <clears throat> am really interested to hear about your solo works. I was not really aware of that, and I would just like to throw my two cents in and say, I hope we get to hear some of that sometime soon or some, it doesn't have to be soon, but at some point I, yeah. I get, I get the process and I, I think it's fine. I don't think there's any need to, but I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. And I think, uh, I think that's worth. That's, that's the plan. I mean, that, well, that was the plan 20 years ago or whatever, 15 years ago. It's still the plan. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, I'm not, I haven't given up yet. You know, I'm going to no. keep doing this as long as, as long as I can 
As long as I can keep getting the physical format out into the world, I think I don't think I'm going to stop. I might take a year off on here and there, you know, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm in this for the long haul. It's, I, uh, you know, it's a big part of my life. I love it. Love yeah. sound, the noise. I love. Cool. Well, it makes, makes the noise world richer. And like I said, I mean, I'd, I don't, <clears throat> don't mean to kiss too much ass, but I just think Throne Heap is a, a great, great label. It's always been a, a very strong kind of marker in the sand for me, just in terms of quality and, and curation and also, you know, kind of, I don't know, like, I don't want to say humbleness, but just like, like putting out something that is good and strong and you know it's good and strong without a lot of fanfare and hype just like you know it's just something that it's it speaks for itself it's very true so i thank you i commend you for throne heap and uh no take your time as you do just keep on keeping on and i hope um i hope there's more to come and i'm sure there is and i hope your your partner um i hope the health issues there uh, resolve themselves and hope that goes well and i th and i understand also that real life physical life also is a very very important balancing act in what we do here so yeah i definitely understand and respect respect that so cool well tom thank you so much thank you and Take care and we'll talk soon. All right. See you. See you, Oscar. Right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to White Sandy Noise Podcast. That was Tom Moore of the label Throne Heap. Visit throneheap.com to order from the label and get in touch with Tom. If you enjoyed this podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash white noise now and show your support.